Welcome back to the Power Sports Nutrition Podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about goalball, a little known Paralympic sport. I have with me Lisa and Jake Jakowski. Jake is the head coach for the US women's goalball team and the US resident program coach in Fort Wayne in Indiana. And Lisa is a six-time Paralympian. Unbelievable. Uh, so she, she's, she only looks like she must have started when she was two years old. Um, so welcome, welcome Jake and Lisa to the, to the show. Thank you, Liz. It's, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Can, can each of you give me a little bit of, or give the audience a little bit of background on yourselves? So uh, Jake, do you want to go first? Sure. Yeah. So I actually was uh, in grad school when I discovered the sport of goalball in, in 2004. And I was in Colorado Springs for a, a sports camp and I was able to watch the women's national team train there. And Lisa actually was a part of, of that training. They were getting ready for the Athens games. And I was just blown away with the athleticism of the sport at the time. I had some friends back in, in Tucson, Arizona, who were also interested in developing a club. And so we started a club. And, and shortly after that, I really became very fond of the sport. And, and at that time, it was interesting. I thought I was going to be um, getting into to physical education as a, a teacher and then potentially a, a football coach full time. And uh, after that, that meeting with the goalball club, I ended up uh, becoming a special education teacher and a, and a goalball coach. And uh, I, kept, I kept around the sport. And in 2010, I was named uh, the women's assistant head coach uh, under Ken Armbruster, who uh, is, is one of the most successful head coaches in goalball history. Uh, in 2016, when Coach Armbruster retired, I was asked to serve as head coach for the women's national team, and I have been in that in that capacity since. In 2017, uh, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, as you said, we established the the first ever full time uh, women's resident training center. The men had started uh, training there in, in 2015, and since then, that's um, that's really what's been keeping me busy. Uh, obviously, we just got back from Tokyo and a, and a strong finish there with the women's team. And that was um, the fast-forwarded version of intro to goalball to, to today. <laughs> <laughs> and Lisa? Thanks, Liz. Um, like you mentioned, I'm a six-time Paralympic athlete. Um, and I actually am a Paralympic athlete in two sports. I was back in the day. Um, my first Paralympic Games was in 2000 in Sydney, and I was actually involved with the track and field team along with goalball. So I participated in um, discus in the F12 category, where I took I won a silver medal, and then also was on the goalball team, and we took sixth place there. But it was uh, it was definitely a, a great first games for me. Um, but just to, I guess, rewind for a second, um, my, um, like my classification, I have a visual impairment and I have a eye condition called cone rod dystrophy. And I was born with it, but it wasn't diagnosed till um, I got into middle school where they really started to see the, um, the deterioration of my macula. So when I was born, I was diagnosed with an eye condition called a chromostopia and nystagmus. And um, that 
later kind of morphed into, as they saw my eyes deteriorate into uh, a diagnosis of cone dystrophy. And then later, later in life, um, within the past five years, I was actually diagnosed with the progressive form of cone rod dystrophy. So what all of that lingo means is that um, I have a severe visual impairment and I do not have any central vision and I'm completely colorblind. So I see everything on kind of a gray scale um, with no, uh, no way to identify a color. Um, I can, can make a educated guess at times for, uh, for colors, but ultimately it's just an educated guess based on what I think I know about color. Yeah. <laughs> um, that also, <laughs> what that also has left me with is also being very uh, light sensitive, um, having trouble with depth perception. And then of course my acuity is not so hot. <laughs> so, mm. um, but all, but all of these wonderful things have made me um, basically able and eligible to to participate as a Paralympic athlete. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, as I said, I started in Sydney, my first games, and then I did um, just uh, focus then on one sport, which was goalball. So, I attended the 2004 games where, as just a goalball athlete, and we won the silver medal. In 2008 in Beijing, we. Uh, we had, we won a gold medal in goalball in 2012 in London. I think we took uh, sixth or seventh place and then rebounded quite well in 2016 with a bronze. And then of course, like um, coach Jake mentioned in Tokyo, we, we were very successful with a silver medal. So I've had a pretty long career so far and it's, it's, it's always very exciting. Mm, and that silver medal came after a grueling semi-final that went into two lots of overtime and a penalty shootout. How many times have you had to yeah. play a game like that? Yeah, it was um, it, it was a a blast to be a part of that process. Of course, anytime you're you're going that far into a tournament, you're already happy uh, with some of the results. And having Brazil as an opponent is, is something that we never take lightly. We've, we've been highly competitive with them for years um, as they're in our region. And we've, we've constantly battled uh, Brazil for, for the top of the podium in a lot of different events. And we knew them very well. They knew us very well. And what was really nice was to see the, the women really step up and, and our ladies really step up in a, in a moment where you don't, have a lot of opportunity to practice. We don't mm. have a lot of extra throw opportunities. It was something that we trained for in Fort Wayne and we were able to replicate that to the best of our abilities. But I mean, let's be honest, Liz, uh, a Thursday afternoon in Fort Wayne, Indiana um, is not going to quite replicate a semifinal <laughs> over time against Brazil and Tokyo. No, but no. I, I more proud of the, of the team. Slightly different intensity of which the, that, that game was played at. Um, cool. Jake, can you tell us a little bit about the physical demands of goalball? What is, what is it as a type of sport, just kind of, it, you know, in a nutshell, how, how would you describe it to people who've never heard of goalball before? Well, it, you know, it's really impossible to describe goalball in – you know, in a in an elevator pitch, as that <laughs> as that phrase is used, because it is such a unique sport. It was goalball was created right after World War II to assist in the rehabilitation of veterans who had sustained vi vision loss, 
And it quickly became also a really uh, popular recreational sport uh, shortly after that. And currently it's played in over 120 countries. And it is the only uh, Paralympic team sport that does not have an Olympic equivalent. So Mm -hmm. it it is quite a unique sport. Um, It's an indoor summer sport. The court we play on is the size of a, a metric volleyball court. So it's nine by 18 meters. And it's a three on three sport. Because it is a sport designed for folks who are blind or visually impaired in order to level the playing field because there are different levels of legal visual impairment. Everybody wears eye shades that are totally blackened out. uh, So that eliminates any visual advantage. The ball we use is about the size of a basketball, but it's made of a hard composite rubber and it's not pressurized. And it weighs 1.25 kilos and it has bells in it. Uh, the court is tactual, so there are sh- there is uh, tape on the floor with string underneath that tape, uh, and that allows for some tactile feedback from the athletes. And uh, it, similar to traditional football or soccer, um, you you have basically imagine three goalies against each other. So they're not running up and down the court; they're staying in their team areas. And they're taking this ball in as hard as they can in sort of an underhand motion, similar to bowling or softball. Uh, They're rolling the ball towards their opponent with the attempt to score a goal. Uh, Defensively, the defense, they hear the ball coming at them, and they're in a bit of a a modified sprinter stance or a variety of different low uh, stances. They hear the ball coming at them, and they're going to dive on their sides on the the ground in order to intercept the ball and, and to block it from getting in their goal. At the elite level, uh, and I don't know the the kilometers conversion, but uh, men and women athletes throw the ball as high as uh, 35, 40, 45 miles an hour. And so that really creates a, yeah, exactly. Mm. It really creates two things. It creates a very fast paced game um, because there's also a shot clock involved. You have 10 seconds to get a ball back past half court once your team touches it, but it also creates an an extraordinarily physical component to this great team sport. In a traditional match, you get about 100 throws per team. So if you add all of that impact with the explosion of throwing, uh, the intensity of defense, you know, diving all over the floor and all the while trying to block a, uh, you know, a a close to a three-pound ball, you're getting an extraordinarily physical, highly athletic, very explosive sport. That I believe anybody who tuned in during the Tokyo Games, they were really treated with some some high action, high drama sport. Mm, fantastic! And all the while you're doing that without being able to see a, th- a thing <laughs> and orientating yourself on with whatever you can do. Lisa, how has um, training changed for you over the last twenty plus years in the sport? How how do you feel it's changed in terms of the demands? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, that is a good question. So, um, yeah, the training has changed tremendously. When I first started playing, we would have practice, honestly, like once once every couple weeks, um, goalball practice once every couple weeks. And um, it was, of course, we were always advised to, you know, to be active, um, to, to do cardio and, and do some strength training. But there was never, honestly, like a formal program. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very fortunate because I was a I was a collegiate track and field athlete. Um, and so I, I was just in training every day anyway, because I was an athlete in college and I was able to kind of carry that on 
as I um, continued my career, as I continued my goalball career after college. But like with, with goalball, it was, it was always, you know, you, you, you would practice with your club team whenever you could. And then it was the, 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 the national team training would be every, gosh, honestly, like every three to four months we would get together as a, as a national team and spend like three days and just three days of just goalball, 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 like three sessions a day. And, um, we would, we would do so much in that three days. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was great to see everyone and great to practice, but it was very exhausting. (laughs) And so, um, we didn't have a, you know, an exact training site. So we would have our training camps in Colorado Springs and eventually down in Birmingham, um, at the Lakeshore foundation. And, um, and so, yeah, the training was very different. Um, with the inclusion of, or the actually the starting, the establishment of the resident programs, our training has become so much more focused, intense, um, and uniform. So uh, we tr- we do train at Turnstone Center for Children and Adults with Disabilities, and we have a designated strength and conditioning coach. Um, he he formulates a program for us that's built into like cycle like um how many, whatever amount of days a week into cycles, <laughs> which may go over weeks or months. And then he is, um, when he creates these programs, he's looking at like our end goal. So in the preparation for Tokyo, he was planning all of our strength and conditioning around the actual competition dates in Tokyo. And then he's working with coach Jake, you know, with, with the needs of goalball and how much goalball we're playing. Um, and in the resident program, we are playing goalball three to four days a week. <laughs> so, um, the court time is, is greatly increased. Mm-hmm. Um, and then along with those resources and, you know, um, we've also had an increase in other supports like sports nutrition and sports psychology. So, um, you know, in looking many, uh, looking five to six years ago, sports nutrition was, you know, we would meet with a sports nutritionist, honestly, maybe once a year, we would, we would talk to to someone when we went to Colorado and, um, they would give us a talk on the athletes plate and ask if there were any questions, but there, there wasn't any, um, consistent communication. Um, and then same with sports psychology, it was, it was kind of there as a potential resource, but it was like, you'd have a meeting once a year again with a sports psychologist and they give you tools to prepare for the games or whatever that might be. Now we've had just amazing resources, um, with sports nutrition. We have a consistent dietitian working with us, um, and see, you know, working with us on the goals that we're working toward. And not only is the communication happening with like meetings, there's also like in-person sessions where we, we talk about and do like meals together. <laughs> um, and we're actually putting a lot of the talk of like the athlete's plate into like practice and understanding. Yeah. Um, and then also that's also been a focus on with the increased sports nutrition. Now we've had, we've had um, a couple years of learning how to fuel yourself for practices, games, how to, have the right feel during the game and then also how to recover. And those three areas have been extremely pivotal, like have been very important to our success. So we didn't have that. Yeah. And so what are some of the big changes that you've made to your diet as a result of that? Um, I have definitely uh, 
really learned about honestly how to how to utilize the athlete's plate and like the needs with like your proteins and grains and carbohydrates. So um, I just made consistent changes on the meals I eat each day. Um, and again, how do I like prepare myself for that day of like practice or competition and then how to recover from that so I'm ready for the next day. So making sure I'm eating the right recovery snacks, um, taking the right uh, supplements um, like collagen or, or creatine or creatine. Um, and so, I, I mean, the changes I've made have have been in, in just in kind of across the board from how I eat to what I eat to, you know, the the supplements that I'm taking. Um, and especially as an older athlete, <laughs> um, I may I think I have a little bit of a different need with some of those supplements. But, um, you know, I just feel so much more like when I got to Tokyo, I felt so much more prepared to make good choices when we were going to the dining hall. Cause it's a, you know, it's a big buffet, right. Yep. And it's all really tempting, but I um, was definitely given the tools to create my athlete's plate for myself to have the right amount of protein and carbohydrates and grains um, and, and make those good decisions and then see that my body's responding well to them. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Now, Jake, there's no research out there on the energy demands of goalball, for example. Um, so what aspects of nutrition do you think are key to the success in goalball? What, is, what are some of the things that you've seen have had a big impact on the, on the players? The biggest impact we've had in, in nutrition came when Kate Davis, who, who works with our team, she's just an absolute wonderful person and she's extraordinarily not knowledgeable when it comes to sports nutrition. And, and she came, observed the sport. She, she comes to our training camps. And between her, myself, and EJ Whitney, our strength and conditioning coach, what we were able to establish was really the demands both for, for pre-fueling, um, but then more importantly, recovery. And what we do with our athletes, one of the things that we monitor, uh, we, use, we use heart rate technology to see basically the expenditure of energy and uh you know they do a calorie count whatnot Um, but we really monitor the athletes during their workouts both with strength and conditioning and during practice and what we found is goalball is very similar to team sports where you're getting a, a higher sustained heart rate you're never really getting back down to a resting heart rate during your match but you're hitting these massive peaks not as long as a soccer match, but similar in in intensity. And so what Kate was able to do with us was really understand that yep. caloric burn during that match, what we needed to, to use during recovery, mm-hmm. but also then with just our strength and conditioning program. Of course, we have folks with different body types, different needs, and she was able to tailor nutritional plans for folks who maybe needed to gain a bit of weight. Um, they were trying to add some muscle, some folks who maybe were looking to tone up a bit and, and what could we do in terms of specific adjustments. And really, Liz, what Lisa hit on, which is so monumental in our, in our change in training, is just it's a full-time process now. And with that, nutrition had to become a full-time process as well. And those days of going home, throwing a, throwing a frozen pizza in the oven after you've had a hard workout – well, the athletes were discovering that that just wasn't getting them ready for that next day. Mm. And the, the long-term effect of a short-term, you know, bliss from a, from a 
a fast food hamburger or French fries really wasn't worth it long term. And our athletes, they're they're driven to win. That's all they know is is excelling. And once they figured out that this nutritional piece was maybe for some of them that missing link along with hydration, rest, and recovery, they really began to take those pieces of their training as serious as the on-court practice or the strength and conditioning. That's been the biggest change. And so give us some examples of what you've done at at the actual venue that you, you train in. You've, you've put in some, some snack options so that um, the athletes can have something to eat before training or in between training sessions when they've got the two sessions close together. What sort of things are you actually providing? Well, absolutely. So what we're doing, we're also doing some food diaries, which has been integral in our in our honesty, honestly, um, honestly with the athletes themselves, and then that honest communication between the athletes and the coaching staff. And yeah, so we're making sure that we're, we're having good solid breakfast, we're getting that fuel. But we also have recovery, we have recovery stations with, um, you know, protein drinks post, we have carbohydrates that um, good healthy carbohydrate sources, we've got protein bars, we have um, some some natural sugar stations in with with fruit. And really, what we've done is try to maximize that time after our workouts to be able to get the proper fuel in the body afterwards to make sure that we weren't missing any of the muscle growth options. And the the balance between having the, the, the right pieces there, having the right fuel and the right food, um, that was really great. But more importantly was the actual knowledge, knowing what to eat, knowing how much, and, and, <laughs> and getting the athletes to buy in, Liz. And that really, again, that's where the folks at USOPC have been so instrumental is getting the athletes to understand, look, you've got only so many minutes after your workout to get the appropriate fuels in you. And if you don't do that, then you're going to be missing out on a piece. So it's one thing to have, uh, you know, core power there, but if the athletes aren't going to, aren't going to drink it or, or, you know, you know, aren't, aren't uh, being politely reminded to do so, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Or not so politely reminded (laughs) to do so. Yeah, but it was the same. It was the same in Tokyo as well. Uh, You know, the folks down there, um, they were so wonderful, and and our team was really. I'm really proud of of the ladies because they they got to know Sally and the group that were were in Tokyo, and they had some wonderful nutritional options. But I was so proud of the of the ladies to go down there and ask the questions to say, hey, this works for me. This doesn't work as much. Do you have any suggestions? Mm -hmm. And so now instead of the staff going to the athletes, it's been that transition of the athletes seeking out um, the the advice from from the staff. That has been a wonderful change. Mm, Fantastic. And I know that one of the things that you've done pretty consistently uh, for recovery when you're playing tournaments because when you play at a tournament you're playing one or two games depending on the tournament every day for a succession of days in a row um, so that recovery piece becomes really important it's a pretty simple process for you guys it's a pe- peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a, a milk a milk based drink for for most people or a soy based um, option is that correct 
Yes, correct. Yeah, we each have a, a very individualized kind of recovery plan. Um, yeah, that does include for some people peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, um, core power, uh, protein bars. Um, yeah, yep, that is correct. Um, it's pretty easy to carry with you wherever you go. Yes, absolutely. And that's part of, um, you know, how, you know, being able to have the, you know, the re the resource with nutrition is talking about that travel piece, both domestically and internationally. And what do you have access to? What can you like the factors you can control and with, um, recovery or with your pregame fuel, um, you know, can kind of controlling that piece of, okay, I can bring these protein bars. It's, it's easy to travel with. Mm, yeah. And so Lisa, can you run us through in a little bit more detail what a typical day's food intake might look for you for, for a training day? Uh, for a, Okay, so for a training day, well, um, my focus is, is definitely on a lot of hydration. <laughs> um, most definitely a lot of what, my water intake would start early in the morning because I work out early in the morning. So um, I am starting my day off with, with some water and some collagen. <laughs> um, as I train in the morning and then, um, mm -hmm. I will then have a pretty high protein breakfast, usually some sort of, uh, you know, egg, egg omelet type of situation and, um, a like English muffin, um, with some butter on it to kind of, you know, have that balance, um, typically stick to like whole grain, you know, multi-grain or wheat English muffins. Um, and yeah, as I said, and with my egg omelet, it's usually like cheese and some spinach. If there's other, any other veggies that um, I want to throw in that that'll work too. But, um, but I start out with a pretty high protein carb breakfast. Um, and then some days, uh, there, there's a, a training session in the morning and then some days the training sessions in the afternoon. So on a training session where I, on a day that I have a training session in the morning, I, um, would then go to, tr I'd, I'd have a break between my initial cardio workout, probably a good hour, hour and a half, mm -hmm. sometimes two. And then we go into a training session and, um, my metabolism is a little slow. <laughs> so that what I had for breakfast would usually sustain me, um, through my training, but, um, I will, um, have a like a, a power rate zero sometimes during the training it depends on the intensity of the training to be honest with you if, if the intensity is high intense like if we're having a really intense goal ball practice um and maybe it's really it's, it's kind of a more humid day so i may be um, sweating a lot more then i'm going to absolutely have a power rate zero kind of ready to go along with my water at the end of that training and if it's a morning session i will definitely recover with I'm, i would prefer to recover with like a fruit um, a banana or an apple or a, uh, a core power. I like the chocolate, the chocolate core power. That's one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Um, and then kind of continue to hydrate with water and maybe even another power rate zero again, depending on how much, um, sweat I lost, how much water I lost. Um, and then my day typically will then go into like my work day. <laughs> I transition into my professional mode and, um, I'll, I'll have some sort of lunch. Um, I typically keep it kind of light on lunch, but like, um, some almonds, carrots, um, hard boiled eggs, kind of some combination of those, um, of those items. And then, and that's usually in that like, uh, 12 to one, it just depends on how long our session was. Yep. And then we, and then I'll usually have some sort of mid afternoon 
a very light snack. And that could be, again, some, like a handful of almonds or, um, just some seeds, just some kind of light protein. Mm -hmm. Um, and then dinner between five and six, where we put a lot of focus into our lean protein. So we eat a lot of chicken. <laughs> Jake um, is a master on the grill. So um, I am very blessed because he can grill really good. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of times Jake will grill chicken, fish, uh, some sort of steak. Um, gosh, what else? Um, sometimes. We'll do, we do a lot of shrimp. Um, so we'll, we'll typically try to have a lean protein and then. Um, some veggies. We do a lot of veggies on the grill as yeah. well. So between those two is. We'll, we'll hopefully not all in the same day. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Jake, will, Jake um, will grill a lot of vegetables, which is it, it's just it's it's so good. You know, they have a lot of flavor to them and everything. So we'll do um, depending on what's what we have: a grilled zucchini, peppers, onions, um, asparagus. Yep. Tonight um, we're doing butternut squash. Okay, so. yep, butternut squash, mm-hmm. super yummy on the grill. Um, and you know, throughout. The day here again, hydration is pretty is, is very very important. So um, I drink a lot of water. Um, I don't drink much much soda or juice. Or, um, so I stick to a lot of water. And then you know once dinner is is complete, it's for me. Um, I just that's that's my my eating is done for the day, and I'm just focusing on water. <laughs> <laughs> and and you get hydration checked regularly um, or at times uh, at at the training camp? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yep. We definitely have hydration checks. Um, yep. And we had them uh, several times in Tokyo as well. Um, so that's really helpful. Keeps you, keeps you, mm. keeps you in check there. Yep. Yeah. Um, because do you find that you're, what happens when you're not as well hydrated? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You definitely get very fatigued. <laughs> um, and it affects, it affects everything about your, your training and your competition when you're not hydrated. So, um, yes, very important to keep that hydration up and going. Yep. And, and when you travel, you, you know, you mentioned that you've done a fair bit of traveling for international competitions. What are some of the key things that you like to take with you? What, what, what goes into your bag? Um, so for me, I, I will say I have a little bit of a sensitive stomach to some of the different foods in other countries. So I am typically, uh, very prepared with, um, protein bars. I eat kind of like a lighter protein bar, like a, it's, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's like a crunch protein bar. Um, I also bring almonds, um, peanut butter pretzels, also peanut butter on its own, um, mm-hmm. as well. And then, and then dried fruits. Uh, raisins, dried, we have dried blueberries, dried mangoes. Um, but I try to kind of bring those staples to, you know, to, to keep me, uh, to keep, make sure I have all the right tools to be successful. So with those kind of pieces, I'm, I'm usually pretty successful and I can supplement with different vegetables and salad options when we're, when we're out there. Yeah. And I, oh, I also bring, <laughs> I do also bring as a staple, um, a like a pow- like propel powder packets so you know so when we are in a competition and i'm you know competing a lot and i'm sweating then i have um a propel packet to put in my my uh my water bottle and help me um you know keep that hydration up mm. excellent and so jake what's what's next for you guys um what's coming up over the next 12 months well as you know um it's been such a unique time 
um, for Olympic and Paralympic sport, we're so programmed to, to run in four year in quads. Mm. And this extra year, adding a fifth year to this previous cycle, it benefited us. And it, you know, as it did, I believe, for the rest of the world in a lot of ways in preparation for Tokyo, we were able to, to add a few more, uh, a, a few more months of, of specific training and, and really kind of hone into what we were, what we were looking to improve upon pre-Tokyo. But now on the backside of that, it took a, a year away from our process. And that really, that has provided some unique challenges this year because we have world championships in in uh, about seven months. Mm. And in the sport of goalball, you only have really uh, three opportunities to qualify for the next Paralympic Games. And although we won a silver medal in, in Tokyo, that does not guarantee anything uh, for Paris, the Paris Games. And so world championships are our first opportunity to qualify for, for 2024. So that will be our primary focus. And the first thing that we do as a coaching staff is we look at the next big goal. And between myself, strength and conditioning, sports nutrition, sports psychology, we then start working backwards. And what are going to be some of those key key moments? And so we looked at some of the international tournament schedules that we know are already out. And we started hitting some, some key milestones there. And then we were able to create a uh, abbreviated off-season uh, workout program. And so we're, we're already in that. And then we're going to hopefully begin our competition season in January, which is crazy to think um, that we're already a couple months out from that. And yeah. this year has been even more unique. Um, again, we have such an incredible group of women and they put aside so much of their personal life uh, to compete in Tokyo. And they had to do that for an extra year. And so we have some young ladies who are finishing up grad school, finishing up college, uh, and re- uh, getting back to their full-time jobs. And so right now, I'm just I, I want these I want these women to enjoy what they did in Tokyo, and do some things that they need to do to get back into their personal lives. Because as much as we love goalball, unfortunately, we do we don't make enough to be financially independent. <laughs> it doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> so the best thing that I could do right now, honestly, is nothing. Um, the The team has earned the right to take a deep breath, not think about goalball for a, for a month or so. And what's nice about about them as competitors is, you know, when the beginning of the year comes around, they'll be ready to compete again. So we we have our strength and conditioning program, but it's been adjusted mm-hmm. so that people can do some of their work at home versus coming back to Fort Wayne in such a short amount of time. And uh, we're looking forward to next season. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, cool. Any words of advice that you have for other coaches or practitioners who may be interested in the sport of goalball? Any words of advice that you have for them working with athletes or working with a team? We could spend a whole nother, you know, a day and a half on that. But really, <laughs> a- ask questions. Talk to talk to the other coaches around the world. It's a wonderful network of amazing people. Uh, we have friendships with coaching staffs across the entire world, and and when we get to see them at different tournaments, we're constantly talking about uh, you know our training programs. Not giving every little detail and every secret, but. It really is a wonderful group 
of of friends and so folks who are are, are really trying to get into competitive coaching here ask questions learn from as many people as you can and get as much advice but really uh, the easiest things um, to do on a daily basis are often the things that we take advantage uh, I'm I'm really lucky that we have such a wonderful group but that group works really hard yeah. at at maintaining great communication great respect for each other and it starts with the most simple things being honest with each other asking the hard questions really demanding the most out of out of the athletes and them demanding the most out of us as a staff mm-hmm. Really, so it comes down to some of those basics, and it's a lot of time. It's a lot of work to be able to get teams reaching elite pinnacles, uh, but it's absolutely worth it. And one question I always ask each athlete uh, when they're talking about joining a a club team of mine or maybe the resident program, I ask them a very simple question. I ask, "How good do you want to be?" Yep. And based on that answer, is is really okay, well, then this is what we're going to need to do. And formulating that that plan of success for the athlete is the first step. But it's no different than than what we do in terms of formulating success from the coaching standpoint. Mm-hmm. I have chosen to set very high standards for myself as a coach and my coaching staff. And in order for us to reach those, we have to put in a lot of work. And mm-hmm. there's really no secret formula and so that's what I would say is ask a lot of questions, be prepared to put in a lot of work and really stick to the most basics of basic fundamentals of being a good person. And it from there, you really, you know, any mistakes you're going to make are going to be able to help you in the long run. And it's it's a fun ride to do what we get to do. Mm. Even though it's it definitely a ride, it has its ups and its downs, but um, in, the, in the end, it's you, you wouldn't do it if you didn't love it so much. Oh, absolutely. There's, I'm the luckiest guy on the planet. I get to, yeah. I get to coach and work with amazing athletes and amazing people, great staff. I get to do that for a living every day. What, what's the phrase? You know, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. And that's really, <laughs> I really feel that way. Yeah. I'm, I'm very lucky in that regard. Great. And Lisa, any words of advice that you have for potential athletes? people with a vision impairment who may get want to be interested in in your sport, but also any specific tools that you've found useful for, you know, considering you have a vision impairment just for day-to-day life? Um, I would say that if someone's interested in, in goalball, that just go out and try it. You know, go out, try to find um, a, a practice or a group of people who – um, have have played, you know, or reach out if you're if there's nothing in your area, reach out to folks that are playing goalball and learn more about it. It's such a dynamic sport, and it has um, it's changed my life. It was my, you know, it's when I I learned more most about myself is when I started playing goalball. Honestly, that's when I I really began to understand who I was and who I wanted to be, and um, really took those steps to accepting and embracing my own visual impairment and, and seeing the potential of myself. Um, it took my, my involvement in goalball to, to see those things. So I encourage anyone to, to reach out and um, just check, check it out. It is a, is an amazingly dynamic sport and the people that are playing are, are such great mentors. So yeah, ch- check it out. Okay. Jake, what's your favorite food? Oh my gosh. Uh, I could eat seafood 
for days. And it doesn't matter what type. You, raw, ceviche, sushi, uh, anything on the grill. But you, you start putting crustaceans or anything that comes in a shell. Scallops, crab, shrimp, abalone. I, I'm, I'm done. And then you throw some grilled veggies with that. And I'm a happy man. <laughs> Lisa, what's your favorite food? My favorite food is anything like sweet. So I love like cookies and uh, ice cream. I would say ice cream, cookies, um, danishes, um, anything sweet. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, thank you both very much for your time. I know it's precious and you've got a, a little boy to, to go and spend time with um, and, and a barbecue or a, a grill to do, obviously, but for dinner so thank you very much for joining us and i wish you all the very best for the next few years leading into paris thank you so much for having us thank you liz it's always a pleasure chatting with you yeah you too what did i learn from this podcast goalball is a unique sport requiring power agility and fast reaction times it also relies heavily on the senses such as hearing and spatial awareness Goalball athletes require fitness and endurance to manage multiple games in a day and days in a row of competition. It's important to have a sound diet that's distributed well across the day to support training and recovery because the training demands of goalball athletes in this day and age are much greater than they were previously. It's also really important to maintain good hydration for brain function as well as that recovery process. In our next podcast, we'll meet Mitch Gooley, a para-alpine skier. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening to our Para Sports Nutrition podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the first four episodes. If you'd like to leave feedback or have topics you'd like to hear about, then please do so. I hope you share the link to the podcast with your social media platforms.